kicking off a new series this morning called CSI. It's Christ Scene Investigation, where we know real CSI stands for Crime Scene Investigation. We're going to talk about CSI and Christ Scene Investigation. We're going to investigate the Christ being on the scene. So stand with me as you uh, found in your Bible, John chapter 14, verse 11. John 14, verse 11, and I know we always throw scripture up on the big screen, but I do not want you to be dependent on the big screen, amen? I want you to know your Bible, learn your Bible, memorize your Bible, because when you're in Walmart, this big screen isn't following you overhead saying, what was that scripture Pastor Joel referenced? If I just had the big screen, the big screen isn't always available, so memorize your Bible. John says, John, the writer of the Gospel of John says in John 14, verse 11, says, believe me, everybody say, believe me. Now, this, this is Jesus talking, and whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, or I tell you the truth, or believe me, he's about to say something that's going to blow your physical mind out of the water, okay? He's about to say something where if the Son of God, who is in the flesh, is telling his disciples right there, believe me, something crazy is fixing to happen. So whenever you're reading the Bible, this is just how I like to read the Bible, whenever I see Jesus say, truly, truly, or I tell you the truth, or believe me, it's like, oh, put your seatbelt on, baby, he's fixing to do something crazy that even the people in the flesh wouldn't believe, so he's clarifying, he's saying, believe me. So get ready. He's saying, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. And so that's what we're going to be talking about, the evidence of the works themselves. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we pray this morning that we would look at the scripture a whole new way. We would have a whole new approach. And Lord, I pray that in our hearts, you would even put it on our hearts to have a new approach when we approach you like never before. God, I pray that you would expand our intellectual thinking this morning. I pray that you would expand our thinking mind, our cognitive mind, so that, Lord God, we can fully embrace all the things that you're doing to us spiritually because many times, God, you give us an amazing physical experience or spiritual experience, but we can't explain it in the physical. So, God, in, uh, uh, increase our ability to comprehend, to know, to explain, and to articulate the scriptures as we read them and as we present the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. The title of this morning's message is Approach the Scene. Approach the Scene. And now you know whenever you see a, a CSI show, they always start out with what? They always start out with the crime, and then they always start out with the CSI, the crime scene investigator, coming up on the scene. But we, as a normal human being, would approach the scene completely different than a CSI would approach the scene. And so many times we miss a lot of things in the Bible because we're approaching the scene in a way we always just thought about or a way we've always been told about in our life but listen here um I, i'm going to use several points throughout this series of how crime scene investigators literally uh, literally approach the scene or things they do on the scene or things like that and we're going to use those principles to discover the truth of the bible amen go deeper in the scriptures than ever before because listen we did a series called free and tons of people got set free but remember in that free series we had to be, have firmly the belt of truth placed in place and that is the word of God, spiritual and physical. Then we did a graveyard series and we found out that once you've been set free from something, you're freed into something and it's going to take the word of God to find out why you exist. And then in the fly series, if you're going to soar higher than you've ever gone, you need to be planted firmly in the word more than you've ever been. Amen. And so this morning, we're going to help you start getting planted deeper, rooted deeper in the word of God and not just reading it the way you've always read it. Amen. And so in this, I need you to begin to open up your mind. It's kind of like being in, a, in, a, in an algebra class at, at 9.30 on a, on a Monday morning, amen? It's kind of like, uh, hey, so this next series gets you a double shot of coffee if you need it. <laughs> Wake up an extra hour early if you need it. 
I need you to come in here with your mind ready to learn and you be ready to apply new principles to your life so you can experience the word of God like never before. On a crime scene investigation, it begins well before the CSI enters the structure. An open field or a wooden area, usually the radio dispatch message is a brief, is brief and seldom reveals the full nature of the incident. Most often this is done to avoid drawing onlookers and the media so who may be led to monitoring the, the, the approach or the dispatch or, um, of the scene. And the CSI, turns into, the CSI turns onto the street in question. His first obligation is to turn on his powers of observation. So this is what I want you to get used to. Turn on your powers of observation when you read the scriptures. Begin to turn on what you literally read in black and white. Make it a vision and an image produced before you. Turn on the powers of your observation. He can make mental note of what he sees, hears, smells, or better still, records them on a digital voice recorder. His first reaction to the scene must be, does anything look out of place? What odors may be noticeable? And are there any unusual things going on? So as we begin to approach the scene this morning, I want to talk to you about you and your approach to the scriptures. What you physically do with your Bible on a daily basis is a spiritual telling of how you approach the scriptures. Come on. Come on, if this sits as a coaster on your coffee table, <laughs> come on, if this sits in the dash of your window, and I can tell who does because it's all kind of folding up like that because the glue's drawn in, you know, if this sits on the dash of your window in your car all week, your physical way you take care of your Bible is usually your spiritual approach to the scriptures. Some of you is so casual and cavalier that, ah, it's just a cup of coffee, <laughs> Some of you, it's just, it's not worth getting out of my car to take into my house to make it the standard of my home. It's good to stay in the windshield, so I just know I got it next Sunday when I walk into church, amen? <laughs> and so in this, your approach to the physical Bible many times shows your approach to the spiritual side of the Bible. And in your spiritual approach to the Bible, we must begin to change things. I take my Bible with me wherever I go. It is always in my backpack, and my backpack is with me wherever I go. <laughs> it's my purse. Y'all can make fun of ladies all you want. I got a big old purse, backpack full of stuff. I mean, I had somebody in my office the other day, and I was talking with them, and they said, and they said, well, what do you do all the time? And I said, what do you mean, what do I do all the time? How does your day go? And I pulled out my backpack, and I set my Bible out. I set one book out that I'm reading. I set another book out that I'm reading. I set my iPad out with my study notes on it. I pulled my laptop out, and I said, this is, I, this is my vital necessities. This is what I do. This is who I am. If I'm going to survive in this life, if I'm going to make an impact for the kingdom, I've got to have this with me at all times. Amen? We'll talk about what you carry with you in your investigation bag sometime later in the series. And so the CSI approaches a crime scene um, in a different way than an average untrained person approaches the crime scene. If I were to drive up on a crime scene, I'd be freaking. I'd be like, oh, it's a dead person. Right? <laughs> When a CSI approaches the crime scene, the last thing they look, is, look at is the dead person. <laughs> They're looking at the crowd to see if anybody's suspicious looking in the crowd. They, the person's dead. They ain't going anywhere. The CSI knows that. <laughs> Come on. Some of you are like, I can't believe he's saying that in church. If you don't hear it in church, where else are you going to hear it at? You're going to get a bad perspective somewhere else. So the last thing he looks at is the dead body. He is monitoring the scene. He's looking around. He is finding all the intangibles that are going on. He is looking at the sounds, the smells, the things, everything that's taking place. And in doing this, he finally gets to the place of the dead body. If you're going to get the fullness of the scripture, you need to find out the fullness of everything that's going on, not just the miracle that Jesus did in the story. 
You need to find out where he's at, why he's at, why is he in this city? Why did he have to go through Samaria? Why did he not want to go through Samaria? What is up with the Samaritans? Why are they crazy people wanting to kill the Jewish people? Because they're half Jew, half another race. What's going on? I mean, find out why. Don't just read the story. You need to read it as a crime scene investigator or a Christ scene investigator. Get the fullness of what God's got going on for you. And so his CSI's approach literally is like this. It's strategic. Strategic is not agenda, okay? Some of you read the Bible with an agenda to support your cause. Mm. I'll say that again. Some of you read the Bible with an agenda to support your cause, and if you do that, you are guilty of using the Scripture wrong. And then you are guilty of misleading the little ones, the Bible says. And if you're guilty of misleading the little ones, the Bible says it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and you be thrown into the sea and die like that. So if you're using the Bible as an agenda... Oh, come on. But if you're using the Bible strategic, it's completely different. You have, must have a strategy as you go into reading the Bible. You must, the CSI's approach is strategic. It's also precise. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly why he's doing what he's doing. It's methodic. He goes through a system. He goes through a series of questions. He goes through a whole thing in, through, through his training that trains him. So when he walks on the scene, he's already done step one through eight before he even shows up. He's got a system of what he uses. And so he does it strategic, he does it precise, he does it methodic, but he also does it as comprehensive as possible. When is the last time we open the Word of God to read it strategically, precisely, comprehensively, and methodically to get the fullness of the Scriptures, or do you just open it up and say, i got three chapters to read because i got to get through my Bible in a year? <laughs> Nothing wrong with reading the Bible in a year. But it's not how much you read in a year, it's how much did you get in a year. It's not how many pages you can get through in a day. It's how many pages got into you in that day. See, we're trying to see how fast we can get through it, and God's trying to see how quick he can get it into us. See, you must change your strategy. You must change your, methodic, your methodology on how you read. You must change your mindset of how you read the Bible. And so listen to this. Many times our inspiration from the Word of God is limited in its effect because our comprehensive knowledge of how the inspiration or evidence fits into the text as a whole. Many times, God cannot get to us the fullness of the Scripture that we get out of inspiration and inspired, the evidence that, wow, God did something, that Scripture came alive. Woo, how many of y'all love it when the Scripture comes alive? First time you got reality of what John 3.16 really meant, not what John 3.16 said. But see, we, we fall short in the comprehensiveness of it because we stop at inspiration, and inspiration is the starting place, not the stopping place. God, if you can inspire me in this one verse, I don't want to stop there. I want to find out why Jesus said what he said, when he said it, how he said it, where he said it, who he said it to, so I can get the fullness of the inspiration that you just gave me. Now, come on, some of y'all don't like reading your Bible, I can tell. If you don't like reading your Bible, find another church for the next eight weeks, I'm just saying. Because this is going to be the foundation of your Christian walk. And if you don't fall in love with reading the Word of God, you will never accomplish all that you're called to accomplish. You'll find yourself being still in bondage, not set free. You'll find yourself going to the graveyard with hopes, dreams, and desires that should have been fulfilled. You'll find yourself squawking around like a chicken instead of soaring like an eagle. Amen? I'm telling you, you must fall in love with the Word of God. And watch how God can change your life. Seriously, come back next week. Don't leave for the next eight weeks, okay? And so in this, you must begin to see how your evidence, the evidence that God did something to you, how does it fit into the scripture text as a whole? 
Where does it come from? How comprehensive is your knowledge of the Word of God? When you get inspired by a scripture, that is definitely not the stopping place. It's only the starting place. Now listen, usually a radio dispatch message is a brief and seldom, is brief and seldom, it reve- and, and doesn't reveal the full nature of the evidence. And this is so common in the body of Christ. We always go by what we have heard said. Mm. The crime scene investigator always goes to the crime scene. He does not listen to the dispatcher and what he heard was said about the crime scene. He goes there himself. You got to quit living off what you have heard said about the Bible. You must go to the Bible yourself. You must open the scriptures by yourself. You must begin to get a shovel out and start digging around the, the dead thing that God said is supposed to be alive. Amen. Where you always hear God's the God who heals. Well, I ain't healed yet. Well, start going to the Bible with a different approach. Start getting a shovel out and digging up the scriptures on healing. Don't just say what mama said. Some of you are living off your grandparents' interpretation of the Bible. Mm, Come on. Not that your grandmama was wrong, but I ain't saying she's always right. Come on. hundred years ago, everybody thought slavery was still right. How many know it's still wrong? So your grandmama's interpretation of it, I'm not saying she was always wrong, but she wasn't always right. And you must approach the Bible. You must approach the Word of God uh, specifically, strategically, methodically, precisely, and comprehensively. And you must begin to approach it in that fashion. Jesus even addressed the same thing. Matthew 5, 21 says, You have heard it said, but I say... Jesus even addressed that issue. You have heard grandmama say, but I'm saying. You've heard all these old preachers saying, Jesus said, but I'm saying. Jesus is literally saying, you've heard the Pharisees say, the religious experts of the time, you've heard the Pharisees say, but I'm saying. (laughs) And you know, Jesus is the final authority. He is the word made flesh. I think he understood it better than anybody else, amen? And I'm just striving to walk close to him on that. (laughs) And so I'm challenging you in your life You must not go by what you've always heard said about the Bible. And you must begin to press forward into your true knowledge of the word of God. Because listen, when we approach the the Christ scene, we must begin to understand the fullness of all of this. This is the scene. From Genesis 1-1 to the last word in Revelation. This is the scene. This is the big scene. (laughs) There's a lot of pages in this scene. Listen, how do you approach this scene is going to make all the difference. And so what is the scene? The scene is the Bible. It's the word of God itself. But listen to what the Bible is. The Bible was written over 1,500 years. So we got a 1,500-year scene that the Bible was written in. Listen, it was written by more than 40 different authors from every walk of life. It included kings, military leaders, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, tax collectors, poets, musicians, statesmen, scholars, and shepherds. They all had a part in contributing to this scene. For example, Moses was a political leader, a judge trained in the university of, universities of Egypt. But then he was a shepherd for the next 40 years. So he had 40 years of education, 40 years of application, before he had 40 years of walking it out. <laughs> Some of y'all are mad that you're waiting two months on God. <laughs> hey, 80 years is quite a long time. King David was a king, a poet, a musician, a shepherd, and a warrior. Amos was a herdsman. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Daniel was a prime minister. Solomon was a king and a philosopher. Peter was a fisherman. Matthew was a tax collector. Paul was a rabbi. And Mark, the gospel writer Mark, was Peter's secretary. Come on. So you got all these things contributing to the crime scene, or the Christ scene, the word of God. 
And so in this, it was written in different locations. Moses wrote in the wilderness. Jeremiah wrote in a dungeon. Daniel wrote on a hillside and in a palace. Paul wrote in prison walls. Luke wrote while traveling. And John wrote in exile on the island of Patmos. They're all contributing to the scene. This scene is an amazing scene. It was written at different times. David wrote in times of war and sacrifice. Solomon wrote in times of peace and prosperity. It was written during different moods. Others wrote in the depths of sorrow. While some wrote in the times of certainty. It was wrote on three different continents. Asia, Africa, Europe. Three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. See, some of y'all just got more knowledge of the Bible than you ever knew about. And and y'all, that is elementary. I mean, elementary truths about the Bible. See, if you don't know the scene and where it's coming from, how are you expecting to solve the problems of the world today? If you want Christ to come on the scene of today's problems in today's world, you must begin to understand the fullness of the scene that you're dealing with. You must begin to understand that God had a motive. Come on. If God is the author of the Christ scene investigation, God had a motive to put Christ on the scene. So God did everything he did with a motive. You mean God's got a motive? Yes, his motivation's you. His motivation is you from Genesis 1, from Genesis chapter 3 when the fall of man happened. The first prophecy was about Christ. The last prophecy in Revelation is about Christ coming again. His whole agenda and everything in between is about you and redemption and bringing you home, baby. So some of you got to realize God wrote the Bible with a motive. And so don't ask me silly questions. Why aren't dinosaurs in the Bible? Because the Bible isn't about dinosaurs. It's God's motive of redemption for a lost humanity, lost mankind, getting you from Genesis 3 to Revelation 23 in the fullness of Scripture context. God's not worried about dinosaurs. He's worried about you. It's not an all-encompassing history book. It's a book with an agenda. An agenda of bringing back a lost humanity to the fullness of God. So quit asking yourself silly questions. Find out what motive God wrote the Bible with. I mean, a crime scene investigator doesn't walk upon the crime scene and say, Huh, I wonder why there's no elephants here. Where'd all the elephants go? You're in the middle of South Texas looking for elephants. Are you kidding me? That's the same way we read the Bible with, though. We're in the middle of the time when God wants to pour his spirit out and do a mighty movement like never before, and you're wondering about dinosaurs. I mean, really? I mean, let's come to the truth of this. And I'm challenging you to start thinking about the Bible differently. I mean, you have a brain to think with. God blessed you with it. He's given you a spirit to be inspired to help you think. (laughs) Come on. Not to help you just feel. He wants you to accomplish great and mighty things. And so, as the CSI turns onto the street, his first obligation is to turn on his powers of observation. So everybody say, turn on. on. Say, I'm turning on. on. Say, I'm turning on. on. My powers of observation. As I read the word of God. I'm telling you, you got to start thinking when you read the word of God. And now that you have the whole perspective of the scene... Once a crime scene investigator has the whole perspective of the big scene, you got the, a quick rundown on a whole perspective of the big scene. Very incomplete, but a quick rundown on it. Then you can start focusing, focusing on the specifics of the scene. Let's take the specifics of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You got three that are the same and one that is different. You got the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the autoptic, which is John. It's written in a completely different setting. But it's still, there's still all the Gospels, so it's all part of the same scene. So now that you're on the, the, you got the big scene, now you're at the actual place of the scene, now you got four different parts in the scene. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And so in the four parts of the scene, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew is written to the Jewish people. 
It had a specific agenda in the writing. It was written to the Jewish people. The genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew starts at Abraham and ends at Jesus. Why? Because they knew Abraham was straight from God, and that's where their covenant started, with Abraham, and it's fulfilling in Jesus. So Matthew is written with an agenda. It's the agenda to the Jewish people. And it was the, the, the theme of it is Christ is king. The Gospel of Mark was written to the Romans. And this is Peter's secretary who wrote this. The Gospel of Mark is written to the Romans, and there is no genealogy in the Gospel of Mark. Why? Because half of the nation of Rome was slaves at the time, and they didn't know their genealogy anyway, so genealogy didn't matter in Rome. So why would Mark waste three chapters putting a genealogy to a people who don't even understand it or even care about it? He said, let's get to the goods. That even though you're a servant, you can become king in the kingdom of God. And every slave wrote or, or wanted their freedom. So Mark wrote in a way that it doesn't matter how low you are here, God's still got a plan for you. He's got an agenda for your life. He's got a purpose in what he's taking it through. So even though you're serving here, you're also going to be serving in the king of kings, serving with the king of kings up there. So Mark had an agenda. Luke had an agenda. Luke is a highly educated man, but he was despised by the Jews because he was an uncircumcised Greek, and he wrote the book of Luke to the Greeks, specifically to a person named Theopolis, because he was a cultured Greek who wanted to know about the Bible. So Luke wrote to one person, and he recorded the whole gospel for one man. But Luke is a book I love because he wrote to the Gentiles, the Greeks. That's me, that's you, that's us, to see a change. The genealogy in the book of Luke starts with Jesus, where Matthew starts with Abraham and goes to Jesus. Luke starts with Jesus and goes all the way back to God. Why? Why would he do that? Well, I just wanted you to know it all. No, that's not why. The Greeks believed in mythology. They believed in God-men. So Jesus was traced back to the Son of God as a God-man. He can rival any of their gods now because we've got a direct genealogy back to God himself. Come on now. He wrote, he wrote with an agenda. But we just read, oh, the Gospels are so great. If you just think the Gospels are great, you're missing the greatness of the Gospels. And then you have the Gospel of John, completely different. The Gospel of John is written in deity, and you know the genealogy of John? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he became flesh and his dwelt among us. That's all you need to know, baby. And he wrote from a kingdom standpoint and a deity perspective. He wrote from God's side of it. Where John said, for God so loves you that he gave his only son that is himself for you. Matthew, Mark, Luke don't talk like that. They're talking from God perspective. A different viewpoint altogether. So now you got the whole scene of the Bible. Now you got a part of a scene, which is the Gospels. Now you break the Gospels down in the four Gospels. And now you can break the Gospel of Luke down. And I chose Luke because we are a Gentile people. And we are the, uh, the ones Luke was writing to. Now you can break Luke down. And if you break Luke down, there's one verse that summarizes all of the Gospel of Luke. That one verse is Luke 19, verse 10. And it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. What? All of Luke summarized in one verse. And Luke addresses some crazy things in his gospel. And listen, the word sin, sinner, and sinful is mentioned 18 times in Luke. That's more than Matthew, Mark, and John combined. Also, the word save is mentioned 19 times, one more than sin, sinner, and sinful. Amen? And that's more than Matthew, Mark, and John together as well. So he can address your sin, 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 but he's always one up by the greatness of God bringing you back to a place of redemption, which goes to the whole crime scene that God had a motive and his motive was you. 
So in this studying of the scripture, and I'm fixing to skip half of the stuff I got on Luke. See, this is all, I got all this on Luke that I'm supposed to go through. I'm going to show you. I got all that on Luke that I'm supposed to go through, but I'm going to have to skip it. So here's what you need to do. You need to go to twbcss.com tomorrow morning, and you need to click on these notes, and you need to read them. Because Luke is not just broken down into simple verses. It's broken down into three different sections. The first section is the advent, the expectancy of the Son of God. The third is the ministry of the Son of God. The, fourth, the, third, is the, or the third is the majesty of the Son of God and his ascension. And you can break the ascension down in Luke 24. In Luke 24, verses um, 1 through 12, it's the open grave. In Luke 24, 13 through 35, it's the open scriptures. In, in 36 through 38, it's an open understanding. And through, uh, in Luke 24, 49 through 53, it's the open heavens where Jesus was brought up and ascended back to where he came from. Not just the Son of God, but the victorious King of Kings as God's Son. Now, I'm telling you, there is so much into this. I could have made an eight-week series out of this first message. But I'm going to challenge you to expand your intellectual thinking. Go to this message yourself and begin to break it down. Break down the gospel of Luke. I'll even give you Matthew, Mark, and John's uh, overview that I got too. If you want that, so you can break them all down together. I'm telling you, if we don't see the, the scene as a whole, we're going to miss the motive God had through the whole thing. So the whole thing is encapsulated in the word of God. And the part of the scene that we focused on was the gospel. The part of the, the, the gospels that we focus on in the scene is Luke. And the subject of Luke is the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You've got to know all this and study all this as a Christ seen investigator because you must be able to give a defense for your knowledge in the Word of God. A crime scene investigator is so specific, so precise, so strategic, so methodic, so comprehensive. Why? Because he knows one day he's going to stand in a courtroom. And he's going to have to give a defense for his findings. Come on now, that's good. Some of y'all, your mind is just boggled right now. I can see by your eyes. You're just like, you lost me, you lost me in, the, in the Bible part of it. <laughs> Listen, he's going to have to give him a defense for his word someday, for his findings someday. You, are, you need to be prepared right now, the Bible says, to give a defense for this gospel that we talked about. His reaction to a crime scene must be, does anything look out of place? You must begin to look in your life as you read the word of God and say, what is out of place in my life that does not line up with this scene that God has painted for me? Remember, his motive is you, to get you back, to make you redeem, bring you back to an original state. What out of my life is out of place that lines up with the word of God? See, here's the problem many times. Many of us get the Bible and say, God, how does this apply to me? See, you're reading it wrong. It's how does this apply to the word of God? It's not how you make this fit into your life. It's how your life fits into this book. And many of us read this book saying, hmm, I wonder which scripture applies to me. No, no, no. You need to read the book and say, I wonder how I'm applying my life to this scripture. That's why we got broke, needy, poor, angry, murderous people living out there because it's all about, oh, how does the word of God apply to me? Not how, do I, how am I applying my life to the word of God? And they all do it in the name of Christianity. See, if I would say, how does my life apply to this? Jesus said, see the poor, go feed them. Oh, but that doesn't apply to me. You're right, but I apply to it because I got the means to go feed some poor people. Do, do you understand? You've got to change the way you think about the Bible. And if we don't change the way we think about the Bible, we are in a hot mess quick. You must be ready to give a defense. Paul uses this term. It's called apology. And too many of us have got the wrong definition of apology. Apology doesn't mean you say, I'm sorry for being a believer. 
Apology means literally this. It comes from the word apologia, which means I'm able to give a sound defense for the evidence that I have found. You notice what happened when Paul was arrested and he got out of jail because he was a Roman citizen? He didn't run off and give a happy skip dance, say, yay, I'm free, I'm free. He said, no, I want to talk to the, to the person in charge. I'm a Roman citizen. I got rights. I'm going to give a defense. Come on now. I'm going to tell you why I was in prison wrong. And I'm going to tell you, you must recompense me or pay back what you stole. See, Paul wasn't an idiot. He was a genius, in fact. So many of you are just so happy to be set free from the devil, you don't realize that when a thief is caught, he must repay seven times. So anything that the devil stole from you, you need to say, hey, 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 I got rights. I got rights. Some of y'all are just so happy to be free, but you're free and broke still. You got rights, baby. Come on. And you must be able to give a defense for it. Not just. Not just, well, the Bible says so. You ever come to me with that weak defense, I will tear you up one side and down the other. And I'll even argue the opposite side just to prove I can out-talk you. Come on. Hot-button topics. You must have an apologia for it, a defense for it. Why do you stand where you do as a believer? Abortion, hot-button topic. Planned Parenthood, things going wild. But why is abortion wrong? Well, you're killing babies. They kill babies all throughout history. Killed babies in Moses' time. Killed babies in Jesus' time. Killed babies at Jesus' second coming time. Well, they've been killing babies for years. Well, well, well it's murder, and the Bible says don't murder. Why is it murder? Just because your definition of life and my definition of life are different, what makes you right and me wrong? Here's why I will stand that abortion is wrong. Because the Bible says life begins with the blood. Blood takes place at conception. Therefore, life begins at conception in the word of God. And as a believer, I will stand on the word of God that life begins at conception. So life begins when conception takes place because that's where the blood is. And so anything after that is considered life. That is an apologetic defense from the word of God about why you believe abortion is wrong. Not, it, it, it's just not good. I just got a heart for babies. I hear so many Christians with weak excuses of why it's wrong. No, open up the scene. Find in the word of God. More than just because the Bible says so. I'm talking get, get true validity, true reason to what you're talking about. And let's go deep with this thing. And any hot button topic in America, you better have an apologia for it, a defense for it, of why you stand on the word of God. More than just, well, I just believe the Bible. Well, I just don't believe the Bible. Your belief in a, in a subject matter doesn't, doesn't matter. Your defense of your belief in the subject matter matters. And you must begin to operate in that line of thinking on a different level of thinking more than ever before so how do we even begin to study the bible in a fashion that we can get to the truth of the context you must study the bible in the way it was written and the purpose it was written for you must study the bible in a christ-centered fashion the first prophecy was about christ and it says you will bruise his heel satan but he's gonna crush your head thank you jesus boom get you some of that i i, I can just imagine god saying that you know you, you know we get we can get crazy sometimes like just I, God getting mad. Ooh, you're going to bruise. He's going to crush your head. I mean, it ain't just. 
Uh-uh. Whenever God goes, he goes big. He divides Red Seas. He walks on water. He sends his own son. I mean, come on. Let's, let's crush some things here. Watch God do something awesome. When Jesus walks into the room, everything changes. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's different. So you must study from a Christ-centered perspective. The first prophecy is about Christ. The last prophecy is about Christ. Everything in the middle is leaning up, leading up to Christ. Listen, the Old Testament is written and it's broken down into four different sections. The Old Testament, you have the first five books, which is the law. The next books, which is the history. The next books, which is the poetry. Song of Solomon, Psalms, Proverbs, and all those. And don't make theology and doctrine out of Psalms, by the way. I mean, seriously? Written in emotional moods. It has the great spirit of God, but don't make theology out of songs. You cannot make theology or doctrine out of anything that's late, repeated less than three times. I'm just telling you the facts. And so all you, well, God, God just loves uh, us to be brokenhearted because he says he's near to the brokenhearted or with a broken spirit and a contrite heart, so I just must be broken and contrite. No, David wrote that after he committed adultery with Bathsheba that there was no sacrifice for. So as he wrote it in the midst of adultery with no sacrifice for, he wrote it in the midst of great grieving and saying, God, all I can offer is a broken spirit and contrite heart, and that's all I can give to you right now because I ain't got anything that can make this sacrifice right. So God, that's all I got. That's why he said it. He said, don't take your spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation because God's spirit had departed from him at that moment. Come on, I'm telling you the truth here. So don't, don't try to make doctrine out of Psalms. I mean, it, woof. Get some messed up theology quick. And then you got the prophecy books, which are the advent, the leading up to Christ. Then you got the New Testament, which are the gospels. You have the four gospels, which is the fulfillment of Christ. And then you have the epistles, which is the application and instruction of Christ being walked out physically. So anything you read of Paul, you need to read it through the light of Jesus Christ. Amen? Some people get off in some Pauline doctrine that's way off and way wrong. You need to study the Apostle Paul through the eyes of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus gave his agenda, his propaganda, and he gave his speech of what he's fixing to change and the kingdom he's going to establish. If you read it through that light, you'll get Paul right. And so when you begin to read it, read it with that agenda, read it with that perspective in your life. Then you got the, the apocalypse, which is the second coming of Christ. And it's not just Jesus returning. And it's not just the tribulation. It's not just where are we getting raptured, middle, first, or last. I mean, forget all that mess. You want to know when Jesus is going to return? The Bible says in the Gospel of Mark, when everyone has heard the gospel. So get preaching so he can start coming. Get me out of this place. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. we got a lot of work to do. It's not just the second coming, but it's the consummation of all things. It's the bringing together of everything. It's God's agenda from Genesis 3. When he said, You'll you bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. It's his agenda from Genesis 3. And all the stuff that the history, the prophets, the poets, and, the, and everything was wrote about. The New Testament was established in. The epistles lived out. The apocalypse is the prophesying of the coming. And the final um, prophecy in Revelation 23, where he talks about, Behold, I'm coming soon. <laughs> That's the consummation of all things. It's wrapping it all together. And so you must study it from the perspective of Christ because this is truly what the Bible says. Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together in Colossians 1.17. John 1, 3, 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning and all things were made and nothing was made without him who has made everything. And yes, I'm talking fast because I got to go. <laughs> I want to end with these couple statements. 
The Old Testament was the types of Christ. The New Testament is the truth of Christ. The Old Testament is the types of Christ. The New Testament is the truth of Christ. What the Old Testament foreshadowed, the New Covenant fulfilled. What the Old Covenant was prophesying about, dreaming about, the New Covenant fulfilled it. So what's the motive? Worship team come, ministers y'all begin to come. God's whole motive literally is this. So spiritually, physically, which includes your mind, will, and emotions, area of the soul. Legally, there's spiritual law out there he had to abide by. So spiritually, physically, legally, and fully, fully, everybody say fully. Quit watching them walk. They can walk the same every single week, okay? Fully, on a count of three, one, two, three. Fully. Fully, spirit, soul, body, mind, will, and emotions, the area you walk in, legally in his realm, legally in our realm, through the spiritual side of things, his motive was to bring you back. Bring you back at any cost. Even the cost of himself. Remember, Jesus said, believe me. We started with the scripture. Believe me when he said, the Father and I are one. I'm in him and he's in me. (laughs) It wasn't just Jesus dying on the cross. It was God himself dying on the cross. It was God giving himself for you in fleshly form. And oh, we read the Bible. (laughs) And we think the crucifixion is just an Easter story. And we think Advent and Christmas is just a, a, a December story. When God's whole motive, the minute we fell away from him, he said, I'll give all of heaven to take you back. And because if I got to give up all of heaven to take you back, I'm God and I'll recreate a new heaven and a new earth for you when I get you back. He's got a motive. He's got an agenda. And if we do not read it from God's motive and God's agenda, we'll never experience the fullness of the scene he's called us to experience.